Well, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 in the 21st verse. Um, as we continue in this work through this letter, um, you know, I, I felt compelled many, many, many weeks ago to do this not knowing what God was going to do in me as, as I worked and prepared. Uh, now, as, as, as you're looking that up, I, w- I want to just share a story. I am, and, and I want to give a disclaimer, I am nowhere near an outdoorsman. I, I can dress in all the Walmart clothes, and I've bought them, and I've done all the different things. I mean, I've grown up. I did a little fishing growing up, and, uh, but Lenny would declare, and I heard him declare it this week, I'm a city slicker. I will take that. Um, I didn't grow up in the woods and things like that. I went to camp, and you know, we played, and we, we, we saw mountains, and I enjoy mountains, but I've spent more time in the last... Uh, couple years in in the woods and in in nature just taking in God's glory um, than I ever have and so a couple years ago I I mentioned to a neighbor I think I'd enjoy learning to do some of that you know and and uh, you know bird hunting sounds fun and so he took me and I got hooked and Cliff Curtis has been in and Lenny and others have been investing in me in in time um, teaching me some of the ways of ducks Quack, quack. Um, this year I decided, you know, for one, shotgun therapy is a very real thing. And uh, I decided I'm going to try turkey hunting. And people warned me, it ain't as easy as, as you think, you know, that these birds can see. And if they could smell, they would be nearly invincible. They're the stupidest smart bird out there, according to some. And so I, I, I bought my $6 Walmart hoodie a few weeks, months ago, and I have the pants and, and the gloves from Bymart, and I'm looking the part. Let's just say, I'm looking the part. And I, I, I've been granted a beautiful location and on some people's property to go and hunt these turkeys. Or as Sam would call them, thunder chickens. And, uh, and I get up there, and I'd gone out with somebody else kind of showing me some ropes, and I decided, well, they couldn't go out, and, and the bird was always on the other side of the fence, you know. And so here I am trying to figure my way out, and I decide I'm going to go sit out in the forest. I have that access. They've, they've given me. I'll, I'll try, try it on my own. And last Saturday, I got a bird. I mean, Sunday morning, I was still rushed. I was on a high. Hallelujah. (laughs) Somebody told me I need to shoot more birds if I was going to preach like I did last week. I I don't know. (laughs) Um, Tuesday night, I'm looking at the week, and I'm like, you know, I'll try Tuesday, and I go out, and I get another bird. I was excited. You're allowed three in a season. I'm two for three. I go out Friday night because I had a, I had, it was my day off and I like, well, go out and let's see what to do. And I, I, like I said, I'm dressed head to toe. I got the hat, the face mask. It's the only time I've, I've heard of people approving of the face mask. And, and I mean, I, all you could see is here and I'm sitting up in the forest and I'm sitting there for, I get there and I, and I, and I, I'll admit, I readily do not know how to call. I'm, I'm, I, I, I do my best to make noise. And I sit there, and I'm making my noise. After a while, I hear, gobble, 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 way off in the distance. 
And I know there's some big birds that have been tending to go out that way and on some other property, and I hear them way off. Well, I start calling that sucker in, and he gets so far, and then he just drops off the earth, and it's like, <sighs> well, I wait, and I keep calling a little here and there. Meanwhile, I'm texting Lenny, and I'm t- texting some others, and, and Sam, Sam's just with me on this, and he's laughing, I know, because, you know, I'm, I'm calling, and all of a sudden, that bird shows back up, but he's, far, he's gone back home, and he's, I, I work him for over an hour and a half trying to get him. I get him near, I am ready to go, the, I, I'm ready, and I've, I've seen him fan out, I'm like, this is going to be beautiful, and I pull that trigger, and I missed. I have been in mourning for a day and a half now. <laughs> True story. I t- I, Kim's like, get over it. It's a bird. But he was there. And I had all the dreams of showing the pictures and all these different things. And I got nothing. And Lenny's sitting there laughing at me. And uh, I mean, I got nothing. Until I got a story, because Saturday morning I woke up early and God's been working on my heart, because I've been sitting in the forest a long time, thinking on passages and, and scriptures and, and different thoughts, and I realized God's given me something worth this loss. Because I realized of the reality that, yeah, that was a hunting story, and there will be another hunting day. But it got me thinking about that, that often... You know, I, I illustrated it with football. You know, you get the kid or the, even the professional that thinks he's got the ball coming in and he knows the field is ripe. He's going to score, score a touchdown if, and, and he's just got to catch this ball, but he's already turned down field and he forgot to catch the ball. That as, as, as people, as a church, I, I am fearful that we have dressed the part that we have got the spot. We're there on Sundays. We're there on Wednesdays. We, we do our, our things. And yet, that there is a chance that we lose focus and we miss. Are you hearing me? Because as we, we've been reading this letter Paul knows there's a chance that the Colossian church is going to miss. And so he's trying to focus them in. He's taught them, you know, that we know some issues are out here, and we'll get into more of those in the coming weeks, but, but we know that there is a opportunity, and he's saying, you know, you need to know the real thing because the false things will get us off focus. And so last week we covered this. He, he starts worshiping God and declaring the, the cosmic reality into the physical fullness of God that was in Christ. That we would see the bigness of Christ and yet the human sacrifice of Christ's obedience on the cross. That we would be fully restored. And so he, he leads them through and us through this amazing proclamation of who Jesus is. Which then you get into it and you start to wonder, okay, that's great. It's, it's a great worship song. It's, it's high and mighty. But what does it really mean? 
I mean, really, basically, it comes down to this two-word question, so what? Yeah, God's a creator, God's did this, so what? Because when you think about it, it, it makes us lead to really wonder, what does it really mean to take seriously the supremacy of Christ? What does it really mean for us to fully understand that Christ is the head of the church and how he has made reconciliation, how he's restored humanity and all creation unto himself? Because even if we acknowledge, yeah, that's good, Jesus is Lord, yeah, uh huh, he's creator, but if we recognize that, we acknowledge that, and we see this cosmically grand view and we, we read into Paul's message and we see and understand Paul's message of hope that he's been proclaiming from the very beginning. And if all these things are stripped of the realities of how it plays, how we live. If, if we take all that thing and it just becomes facts and ideas that I know, but I don't really know. Then we wonder why. So verse 21, Paul, knowing what's kind of out there, he's just in, in, in the last passages, uh, last few verses, declared God's supremacy and that God did all these things and reconciled all creation unto himself. In verse 21, Paul begins painting this picture that we're all familiar with. It's the before and the after. You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the, hey, you, could look, you might look like this, but you could look like this kind of picture. Uh, uh, that should motivate us. Well, I could be like them. Or if, if you've been there, you're like myself, who, it, it, he, as he writes this, it's, it's kind of like me knowing that I want to eat that hostess cupcake. Or really several of those hostess cupcakes. But, then I am shown a picture of myself in Costa Rica about six years ago and about 50 pounds heavier knowing that I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do because I was just flat unhealthy. And Paul is saying, you have been there. You're now here. And so he starts to show us these two pictures. And he says in verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. Paul's reminding them, and ultimately us, of their status before Christ. He's saying, hey, look, remember where you came from, where you were. You were alienated from God. You were cut off without hope. And it's more than just you were in a timeout situation. It's, it's that you were gone. You, you were as the feet, you know, there was hostility. You were enemies of God. Ephesians says you were objects of God's wrath. Because there are consequences when we are in opposition to God. Who, who Paul has just declared that created and holds all things together. 
That isn't someone you want to be on the wrong side with. And so why are they enemies? Because of their improper mindset. And that improper mindset had, had led their life to uh, show itself in how they lived. That they had it skewed. They, the way that they lived de- de- demonstrated that they were rejecting God's authority and His supremacy in their lives. And they had shown that they had failed to conform their life to God's will. Now let me point out that this is a community statement. When it's, it's more than just an individual one. The overall community is live, living in opposition to God. That when Paul writes the word minds here, He's speaking of this collective process that has shaped them, that his, their intellect and morals and all these different things are, are, at, are wrong and against God. And at the same time, each person individually is responsible for what's going on in their own mind and heart. So, so you have the bigger picture and then you have the individual picture. And the reality is that their lifestyle is hostile toward God. And in, just like in our relationships back and forth and, and what's going on, broken relationships can't be fully restored so long as one side stands against the other as an enemy. It's not that God didn't want to have a relationship. It's not that God had, had determined, you know, you're always going to be against me. No, it's, it's by virtue of the evidence of how they both individually and collectively were living their lives. And, and he's writing not just to Gentiles, he's writing to Jews, the chosen people in this. It's, it's that they weren't interested or, or couldn't fully bridge the gap that existed so God does his part and he intervenes so in verse 22 so verse 21 he, he's shown the before and in verse 22 he shows the after and the reason for the difference but now so you used to live this way you used to be these things but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body this isn't just thoughts. This is Christ died through the death, his death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Their previous state of alienation, their, of separatedness, of against God has be, become overcome because they have been reconciled by God and have accepted it in Christ. So in verse 20, God. Paul has stated that there's been a reconciliation of all things, and now he's getting more specific that it's taken place in their lives, and there is a difference. To be reconciled is to experience a restoration of relationship between two parties that had been separating against each other. In this case, it didn't happen by human striving. They didn't offer enough sacrifices and enough money and done all the different things that, that we tend to do, but, but it was that Christ's obedience has filled the gap. 
and done what we could not do for ourselves. And reconciliation has been achieved by Christ's physical body through death. In God's economy, this is kind of a wild thing, but in God's economy, the gift of life comes through death. And at the same time, death is the consequences for those that remain in a life that is in opposition to God. The good news is that regardless of our deserving, and whether we think we're good enough or not, in His great love, and, and through the obedience and death of Christ, that God has restored all creation unto Himself, we just have to accept it. It's there. And Paul said, because you used to be, past tense, but now present tense that in as you result in believing in Christ and what he's done for you it says that Christ is presented we are presented by Christ it's it's a sacrificial language but it's also a judicial language in this statement it's Paul's thinking of and remember he he is a a trained uh, leader and teacher in, in the Jewish understanding. And, and, and he's also been trained in the Greek understanding. And uh, in Romans 12, he says that we are to present our lives as a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Anything else is unacceptable. But here we find that the sense of the quality of the presentation that Christ is presenting us. Those who used to be against Him, Christ, and now have put their faith, Christ is taking and He's presenting to God. And it says that we are presented as holy. Holy. It refers to a people who have been spiritually transformed through Christ's work, in God's work in Christ. There's a sense of qualification to participate in sacrificial ritual. We're declared clean and we're presented as set apart for divine service. And for the Jew, you have to remember that to understand to be unclean is to understand you are disqualified from worship. And Paul understands that when he defines this holy status as as we now have the ability to stand in the presence of of a holy God through Christ. Not on our own, but through Christ. Because Christ is the cleansing. He is perfect. His sacrifice was perfect. And He has made the way so we're presented as by Christ, through Christ, without blemish. But there's also this language of judicial. That we are presenting a case, to argue a case before a court. In Christ, we are, we are free from accusation. Now, I don't know of anybody that if I came and talked to you, are, are you guilty of nothing? I've yet to meet that person. I've yet to look in the mirror and see that person. But to be free from accusation is to be blameless. It's a declaration that all believers can participate in Christ. 
In Christ, we are presented before a holy God. And please do not miss this. The image that Paul is showing of the effect of the gospel on the after image of this person can't be understood without and apart from the power of the gospel to transform the life of a believer. That God accepts us where we are, but he doesn't expect us to stay that same place. The point of, of this is that holiness should characterize God's people. Not that we're holier than thou, but because of Christ, he's doing a transforming work in my life. And the hard truth here is that for believers, the hard truth is that at the time of judgment, when we are presented, we cannot be excused for moral lapses in our behavior before a holy God. We can't just write off, well, I'm human. We can't just write off, well, you know, it's just a little thing. Compared to so-and-so, this ain't nothing. We can't just write off, well, it was just a little white lie. The fish was really this big, not this big, you know, but, you know. We can't write these things off. We can't begin just writing it off and continue to live just like the world around us and yet say that, that God has done this amazing work in our life if there's no fruit. To excuse it, to excuse our moral lapses on a constant basis is instead of going and asking for forgiveness is to return to the before picture where we are enemies, objects of God's wrath. And it would be to neglect the gift to basically say, oh well, to the gift that God has given us and continues to give us through Christ. And so Paul goes there. He, he's reminding the church, you were, but you are now. Don't go back. He, he's already declared this after picture, is, is a con- and there's a conditional clause. You look at verse thir- 23, and it, it starts right away. It says, so Christ will present you holy, blameless, and with the ac- without accusation if you continue in your faith. Established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. What God has accomplished through Christ is not in question. And it's not that, that our actions make us presentable before God. But our actions are a result of how our thoughts and how our faith are interacting with one another. And, and, and so we're called to live into what Christ has been done what God is doing through Christ, we're to live into that all the time, not just on Sunday mornings when we're dressed and ready to go. We're called to pick up our cross and die to ourselves. We're called to die the way to our old life in order that we can live in a way that is worthy of the gospel as it says in Philippians chapter 1. There are no regrets. 
We know the hope that we have. We know who God is. We know He's done what we could not do for ourselves. And we choose to live into that hope daily, minute by minute, hour by hour, constantly living into it because, because He is worthy. We're called to live into what God has done in Christ all the time. We're called. We have to respond. There should be no regrets. I mean, as I, as I think back and, I, and I've thought back to the fact of, of Israel's story. Here, God has taken them out of Egypt. He's, he's blessed them. He's provided for them. They screw around and start wishing back for Egypt. And he says, well, if I've gotten you out of Egypt, now I need to get Egypt out of you. And so, 40 years they wander in, in, the, in the desert. They finally are ready. And he says, go, be blessed. Go and take the land that I have given you. And they go. They enter in. We're chosen. Ha ha, we can't be. And, and they start living into that. And, and they're taking things on. And, and, and God is doing work. Often there's stories they don't even have to hardly pick up the, the, the sword. That God just takes care of it. People run and all this stuff. And they start living into it. And they believe and look and see, well, look what we did. And they start taking their eyes and their focus and they put it on themselves and thinking, look at me instead of look at what God has done. And Paul knows that that's still a reality. We can get to this point where we take our eyes off God even though we know better. And like the Israelites, we try to be like everybody else around us. Instead of living into the distinctive of a people called by God. And we lose the distinctive, the promise of hope. It's not that God's taken it away, it's that we've taken our eyes off the prize for which Christ has died for us to give. And God offers that hope that we should be fully on display in our lives. To be set apart is to live a life of dedication. This absolute so what for our lives that, that Paul is responding to, that God did all these things and that he died, he, he, he was up here and he's now here and, and he's restored all creation unto himself, is this, we must persist in faith. It's not about our works. I, I want you to understand that it's not our works that get us there. It's belief in Christ, but our, our belief is teamed up with what we do. It's shown in how we live. Believers who have been reconciled by God through Christ become responsible to persevere within the divine transformation that is happening and takes place through Christ in our lives. The Colossians' task and our task is to live in conformity to the gospel that has and should still be transforming our lives. It's a full-time gig. We are God's people. It's not 
Well, sometimes. No, we are God's people in a land that just like Deuteronomy says that I'm going to place you and I want you to understand that you are my representatives to the world. So live like it. That as we live and as we grow and as we continue to pursue Christ, to a deeper and more intimate relationship with Him, our lives would be completely and continuously turned upside down compared to the standards of this world. Understand the ways of this world, what we consider normal, aren't working. So why in the world would we try to adhere to them? Look at the fruit. What's normal in this world is 50 plus percent divorce. The basically throwaway of life. Crime. Stealing. Disrespecting of other people and other things. All about me. It doesn't work. Never has, never will. That we would live into the responsibility that Christ has passed on to us of His mission. That we would be living representatives of Christ in everything that we do. That we would pick up the distinctive that God has called us. That the hope that we received should be the hope that continues to move us forward. That continues to transform us. And is the hope that we continue to share by word and by deed. Faith that Paul is referring to isn't a one-time decision. It's not something, well, I was in kindergarten and, and I did it and we're good to go. It's a, it's a faith that I daily choose to follow Christ. That we would result is, is this call of loyalty into a new identity of who God is continuing to make me be, that each and every day I'm more and more like Him. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have setbacks, but it means that, that God calls me back to Himself and I repent and I get refocused and I do, and, I, and just the next day, God, let me, let me in this moment, moment by moment by moment, honor you in everything that I do. And may I live into the grace when I don't. But may that grace be something that empowers me to do more like you versus, well, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Don't cheapen God's grace. We are ambassadors of Christ. One person put it, it's your responsibility to remain in the faith. Often the Bible puts God's sovereignty and our responsibility in the same verse and context. God's sovereignty gives us comfort that since He saved us, He can sustain us and He will keep us. But that's never an invitation just to kick back and cruise to do whatever you want to do. We can trust that God will finally bring us to full glory but He does that through our obedient perseverance in the faith. Both are true, and, and we're out of balance if we let go of one or the other. 
We collectively and independently need to apply this message this morning. So let me say, if you've never trusted Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it's time. Now is the day. It's your first and foremost urgent need. We need Christ. You can't do it on your own. You can't be good enough. You can't earn enough. You can't buy enough. You can't do anything enough to because God's already given it. You just have to receive it. Now is the time to put your faith and hope in the eternal and powerful work of Christ. At the same time, I'd guess, and I think I'd be right to say that for the majority of us here today, you need the same challenge that I've been having to deal with this week. And I want to encourage you. You and I need to do a self-evaluation. In light of a holy God that has said, Be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How are you doing? Are you ready? If you, if you take... You know, to, to face a holy God. If you've taken your eyes off Christ and if you've neglected your faith, if you've been coasting, if you aren't ready to stand before a holy God right now, it's time to get things straight with God. It's not time to get complacent. It, it's not time to, to just kind of sit back. It's time to get persistent. Because I want us to not have regret. That, well, God, I just kind of missed the mark. Because to miss the mark is a miss. Whether you miss by this or this. You can look the part. You can show up in the spot. And everything can present itself, but if we take our eyes off Christ, we miss. Don't give up. It's time to develop a plan of growth. It's time to take the challenge of Christ. It's time to get persistent and to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. So don't give up. Don't lose focus. Don't look back and regret because you missed. I'm going to ask Sam to come on up here. Um, he's going to play something. I want to give an opportunity. God's been placing this on my heart for a while. If this is your time to, and, and you know where you are, maybe this is your first time and you have not accepted, you've been holding off, now's the time. If you've accepted Christ, but you've taken your eyes off where you know you need to be. If you're not ready right now, here and now, to stand before a holy God, then it's time to get things ready here.